Welcome to the Living the Writing Life podcast. My guest today is award-winning writer, Corey Adjami. Corey is the author of the short story collection, Life and Other Shortcomings, which won an International Book Award, an IBPA Benjamin Franklin Award, and an American Fiction Award. She's also the author of the forthcoming novel, The Marriage Box, which was named a must-read new book of 2020 that will be out in 2023. Her prize-winning essays and short stories have appeared in dozens of journals and magazines, including HuffPost, North American Review, Indiana Review, Medium, Motherwell, and Caveller. And she has been featured in Travel and Leisure, New York Magazine, The Hollywood Times, Parade, and BuzzFeed. When she's not writing, Corey does volunteer work, cooks, draws, bikes, and hikes. She and her husband have five children and a number of grandchildren with more on the way. She lives and works in New York City. In today's conversation, we'll explore the various challenges women face when pursuing the writing life, the time constraints, the family responsibilities, financial issues, and their own self-doubt about their right to write. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, I think this will be a fascinating conversation because um, I think there are certain challenges, <clears throat> excuse me, that many women face when pursuing the writing life. And we've mentioned some of them already. Um, and, you know, those are probably not all of them. If you were to rate the impact any of, of the issues have had on your writing life, which one was the biggest you had to deal with and how did you handle it? Well, definitely finding the time while raising five children was um, a real challenge. Um, and I would say that perseverance is a huge necessary ingredient in um, living this life because you need to be able to put your work down and pick it up and not get discouraged by the breaks and the interruptions. Um, and my advice really would just be baby steps. Do what you can when you can. And it adds up. And you have to be patient, but it adds up. You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, we all hear about the people who are able to set aside hours to work on a particular piece. And, you know, for most of us, that that's kind of a wish life, but not a real life situation. Uh, now, I've interviewed other women writers, and from some of them, I've heard that guilt also plays a role, that they feel if they take time away from their other responsibilities, whether it's their family relationships or their non-writing work, they think they're being selfish about it. Did you have any feelings of guilt about spending time writing, especially since you're married and have five children? Um, absolutely. Um, I think it's a compromise. So for me, um, one of the first routines that I got into when I started writing was doing morning pages, Julia Cameron's suggestion in her book, The Artist's Way. And it's three pages of long handwriting, and I would do it every single morning. And my youngest at the time was probably around eight or 10, and she really knew mommy's doing her morning pages, having my coffee and having those minutes, probably about 20 to myself. And because I respected that time, so did she. And there was plenty of time for us before and after, but I really went to Breadloaf Writers Conference and it's a 10 day conference, but I only went for seven. So that felt like a reasonable way to balance. 
And, and I think that's always what it is, is there, there has to be some kind of balance. But, you know, I, I like what you said about you respecting the time, she respecting it. And I think especially when we have daughters and, and we're showing them that, you know, yes, we're doing our maternal responsibilities, we're doing our house responsibilities, but this is time that is for what's important to us. I think that might also be showing our daughters that when they get to be older, they, they're allowed, they're permitted, it's okay for them to do that, whether they wanna be writers or, or whatever they want to do that helps fulfill their goal, that, that it's okay. You don't have to always put everybody else first. You can put you, your, you first, your goals first as well. Absolutely. Now, do you think that, um, so, well, obviously you do think it's important for women writers to pursue their craft, even if it means putting their creative goals first. Is that, is that something that you had to have conversations with, either with your children or, or with your spouse that, hey, this is, this is important to me and, and I'm, I'm entitled to this. I don't have to ask permission for this. Um, I, I do think that um, my family understood that it was very important to me and that when I took time to do it, it wasn't like, you know, hours upon hours with my door locked and everybody outside like fending for themselves. So when I did take the time, whenever that might have been, it, it felt reasonable. You know, everyone was fed and whatever. I made sure that things were um, set up so that I could take the time. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder too for those women who keep saying okay um i can't do it now because my kids need me i can't do it now because my parents need me whatever it is what is the danger for a woman to and and i keep coming back to women because i think these are issues that we face more so than men i could be wrong but this is this is just seems to be that way what what are the the dangers of them always putting it off what you know, until the right time. Um, what what are what are some of the what are some of the flaws in that thinking? I guess is what I'm asking. I mean, I do think there is the reality that if you're a mother, you have to make sure. Depending on the age of your children, they need to be taken care of. Like I said, they need to be fed. They need to be changed. They need to be if they have uh, schoolwork to be done. We have our responsibilities. So I, I think that's if you're a mom. For me, that was my priority. But I do, I do also think that it's very important that we find time for ourselves, what, whether it's 15 minutes a day, a half an hour a day, an hour, or maybe not even that much time. I mean, depending on the circumstances, if women also have a full-time job and they're raising a family and they wanna write, I mean, that's a lot on an individual's plate. Um, I've tried a number of things. I've set my alarm every day at 5 a.m to make sure I got in two hours before the noise started in my house. I've, I've tried everything. And um, I really do think overall, it's a balance act. It, you know, how much are you going to take for yourself? How much are you gonna to give to your family? Because the realities are there as well, that you know, we do have responsibilities. And sometimes those have to come first. And sometimes you can make them for yourself. Right, right, exactly. And, it, and I think it makes us, better people if we do give ourselves the permission to do this because 
otherwise the tendency is to always have that feeling of irritation with everybody else in our life because you're not letting me do whatever even take those 15 minutes for morning pages or whatever um you know you you run that risk of the resentment building up and then nobody benefits because everybody knows mom's mad right but having a cranky or dissatisfied mother doesn't do anybody a favor so i mean i do think of it also as at least for me it felt like mental wellness it felt like i needed to get these words on the page i needed to get these thoughts on the page i needed to be creative and that allowed me to be a better mom in a lot of ways absolutely absolutely and spouse you can tell you could ask my husband about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it it does and and i think also when when the family members understand that and then they can be supportive it just it serves everybody. It benefits everybody. Absolutely. I agree. Now, what kind of advice do you have for women writers who, um, whether they're writing fiction or they're writing a memoir, where they're kind of exploring um, some personal experiences through that, and, and they may hesitate because what are people going to say? You know, what? how are people going to feel if even if I have a fictional character doing this, but people who know me, because that's always, I think, a concern, both with, with the male writers I've interviewed and, and the women writers, that how will people judge us if they suspect that what we're writing is based on some event in our life? Where, what advice do you have for them? I mean, the first thing I would suggest is that the person just write it. Just get it down on paper exactly as you remember it or it's exactly how you want to tell it. And as you work on your craft and as time goes on, things change. Your perspective on it might change um, as you develop your craft and as you get to be better, a better writer, you might realize you don't need to say it that way. And you could real, you also start to realize you don't need to hold on to all your darlings, like all your beautiful language or the way you said it, it, you learn to let go. And all of a sudden the event that happened in the bookstore could happen in the grocery store. And it was a female who it really happened to, but you're gonna change it to a male and you're gonna change the tense and you're gonna change the tone. And maybe what you're gonna end up with just is just the emotional beat. And that often is what you're really trying to convey anyway. So I would say first step is just get it down. And as long as you're patient and you're willing to grapple with the craft over time, things do change. They do. And, and I think also we, because obviously you can't write something and only have, only have a very limited viewpoint of it. I, I think in the process of writing and then rewriting, revising and everything, you start gaining a, a uh, maybe a broader perspective of the characters that are involved. Whether, whether you're writing it as a memoir or you're writing it as fiction, you, you know, it's not black and white anymore. You know? and, and so I was talking mostly about fiction, but you're right, even with memoir, I still think people have to initially just get the story down. Mm-hmm. And then like, you, like you're saying that in time, even your perspective may change and it often does change. And a different truth is revealed or a more complicated nuanced truth is revealed. 
Exactly, exactly. And, and that time distance, I think, makes all the difference, too. You know, get it down, maybe, maybe right after, you know, like, right. For instance, if you lost somebody close to you, get everything out now, but then allow yourself a certain amount of time because it's, it's always, and this is what I've heard from so many people that I've talked to who, who have worked, especially on memoirs, where, you know, they, they get it down in, in the emotional heat of the moment. But then they need that time perspective so that they can hit a balance between being honest and truthful and at the same time being kind of objective so that the reader comes to it and gains something from it. Definitely. Now, um, I know that both of your books, Life and Other Shortcomings and um, your, your novel, The Marriage Box, they have similar storylines about what it means to be a woman, whether it's in a relationship with another person, in a particular culture and era, and how these conditions ultimately affect her relationship with herself. Why did you choose to focus on that particular topic or angle? I didn't choose it. It chose me. And I think that's what happens a lot is people just write what they either know or what upsets them, or what they are trying to figure out. And I think based on my experiences, it seems clear to me that my books revolve around those themes, similar themes, uh, relationships, marriage, family. It, it's clear now. I didn't know that when I started out. I just was writing what felt important to me. Mm-hmm. Um. Is there uh, an overarching theme that, that you explore in your books? Again, not on purpose, but yes, patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> it comes out again and again and again. And I think I was even unaware of how th- that those experiences had affected me throughout my life. Messages of staying small, messages of keeping quiet. Um, I I don't think I was aware that those messages were really, really strong in my life, whether it was at home or in my community or even in my school growing up. And um, so it ended up coming out on the page. You know, a lot of times those messages are so subliminal. You know, it, we don't really even hear them sometimes. It's like they're there and if they're starting, if we start hearing them from the time we were little, it, it's like, of course, the sky is blue and the grass is green. Of course, you should put everybody else first. Of course, you should know your place, right? And don't expect too much. Um, you know, and I, and I think sometimes in the course of writing, we start questioning ourselves and and why did we maybe either why did we settle for it for so long or what can we learn so that we can stop doing this was this as you were writing this were did you start changing personally in terms of how you responded if somebody started to kind of figuratively pat you on the head and say go home little woman and mind your p's and q's i I do think so yeah a little experience here and there um, definitely shifted my thinking and ultimately my behavior as well. 
even more recently, like last week, <laughs> a few people had brought up um, my novel, The Marriage Box Talks About My Community. And people were questioning me about what was in the book and definitely implanting some fear about what I might have said. And I took 20 years to write that book because I really had every intention of being totally respectful. Um, and still the fear was there. And I say that because I think the messaging is still keep quiet. And it's even women telling women keep quiet. So I don't, and maybe that's why it took 20 years to write the book because I needed to gather a lot of courage to figure out how to tell the story I needed to tell without asking for permission while also maintaining respect. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm glad you brought up um, the 20 years because one of the things that I was curious about is, I mean, that's a long time <laughs> to yes. take. How did you not lose your enthusiasm or your drive or even your confidence in being able to finish a project that takes that's taking you so long were there, were there times where you said I, I don't think I can do this I, I've, I've lost my way in the in the course of writing this definitely um, I so part of what kept me going was I was writing short stories all along and I think for me, some people find short stories much harder to write than a novel because you've got to say a lot in a, a lot, many, many fewer pages. That's not very good English. Okay, in fewer pages. Um, but for me, the short story was really a great um, form because while I was raising kids, I could sit and read the story 10 pages, 12 pages, 15 pages, all in one sitting. And I could remember it, I could edit it, I could work on it, it felt manageable to me. So um, the novel was just something every time I got into it, then I'd get distracted, I'd put it away. And by the time I picked it up again, I'd have to start all over again because I couldn't remember the thread. I couldn't remember the beat. I didn't know where I was. And so I just couldn't get enough momentum. So while that was frustrating and absolutely at times I felt like, oh my God, I'm just never gonna get this done. It's just, and I hit bumps in the road where I had gone off course and whatever. Um, the, publishing the short stories along the way kind of kept me going. Um, and I, I really started to look at the marriage box as a way to learn this craft. I just kind of kept saying, I'm just going to get better. I'm just going to get better. I'm going to keep working on this. And, um, and for whatever reason, I guess it was a story I really needed to tell. I, I just kept working at it. And in the last couple of years, as my kids got older, um, I was able to put in a lot more time. And for me, that felt really necessary to sit with it and inhabit the world of my characters and really get to know them. And after putting in all those years of writing short stories and, and learning my craft, um, the things started to come together. Now, did you work with... Um... Uh, beta readers or writing groups where you were able to read portions of it, get some feedback, anything along those lines during that time period? Yeah, absolutely. I always recommend Gotham Writers Workshop, always, whenever I speak. Um, they're based in New York City and you can take in-person classes, but they have a very big schedule, online, Zoom. Um, 
And I've taken, I think, every class I have, fiction writing, nonfiction writing, movie writing, TV writing, and there is not a class I haven't taken, and their teachers are wonderful. So I highly recommend. Oh, well, that, that's good to know, because quite honestly, that's sort of the situation I'm in now. I've been writing short stories forever, you know, had them published and everything, but trying to make that break into novel writing. And, you know, you, you always hear, well, you're either a short story writer or you're a novelist. You can't do both. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes there's days when you want to say, yes, I can. And sometimes there are other days where you say, yeah, maybe you're right. You know, so it's um, that. I want to say, I want to say, yes, you can. <laughs> and, and what Gotham has also is you could join a class and be one of, let's say, 10 or 12 students with a teacher who's really competent and amazing, um, usually. I mean, I've had great experiences, but also they have one-on-one, -on -one, if that works better for you. Like they have, a, they can fill a lot of needs. So I suggest you check out their website. Absolutely. That, yes, that definitely sounds good, especially because even though the pandemic is sort of over, I, I don't know that, you know, people have as many opportunities now for in-person things as maybe they did before it kicked in. So there's, you know, that's, it's always good to know that we have these online options, virtual kind of workshop type things. Um, one of the things which really kind of ties back to your whole focus on, on patriarchy, um, given how the rights of women uh, to make decisions about her own body are being slowly but surely chipped away, do you believe that writing, whether it's in fiction or nonfiction, about the dangers women face can actually help and empower, help to empower and educate women? Absolutely. I think uh, writing is a, a beautiful tool, absolutely to educate, but also to inspire, to inform, um, and also to have people feel like they're not alone and that there are like-minded people. And um, I do think it's empowering, not only to write, but to read someone who's written something that resonates with you. Are there particular authors that have done that for you? Oh, I'm sure. Read. I mean, there are, particular authors who've inspired me, like from a fiction point of view, absolutely. Um, and there are authors who I follow who, who write articles in newspapers and magazines that absolutely speak in a tone that resonates with me. I mean, even just, I mean, on a different note altogether, the Brene Browns of the world and the Glennon Doyles and those women who, um, uh, Elizabeth, oh, I'm going blank. Um, it doesn't matter. Anyway, um, the one who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. I shouldn't remember. Oh, Elizabeth Gilbert. Thank you. Um, it was going to drive me crazy if I couldn't remember. Um, okay, so yeah, the women like that, they, they're very inspiring to me. They, they remind me to keep writing. They remind me my voice is important and that it matters, what I have to say, what I think, and then also to get your voice out there, share. Yeah. Absolutely, because I, I think when we are able to do that, it starts a conversation. And, and that's what writing should do. Good writing should start conversations, should start even debates, but at least open up people's 
minds to other viewpoints so that they can learn something. That's been really important to me. Talking and having conversations is something I, I did not expect from writing. And it's been one of the biggest benefits, the unexpected biggest benefit. Yes. Um, now, Parade Magazine listed life and other shortcomings among 20 classic and new books about feminism that'll get readers thinking and talking. So of course that begs the question, do you consider yourself a feminist? Again, I didn't have that label for myself. I didn't think of myself necessarily as a feminist, but for me, feminism is about equal rights for women. And so, yeah, I'm all for that. And I would say, yes, I am one after all. Um, what did you learn or realize about yourself in the process uh, of writing about the lives of your female protagonists? Hmm. I, I think it's really um, a wonderful exploration to be able to dip into someone else's mind. And so when you develop a female protagonist and you allow her to do things maybe you yourself might not be able to do or live a life you yourself have not lived or think in a way or behave in a way that is foreign to you. Um, it allows you to explore and consider different lifestyles, different points of view. I think it's an opening and it's, um, it's playful, which I think is very important. It requires imagination, which I also think is important, and builds empathy, which is essential in my mind. And um, I hope I answered your question. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, you you can tell, you know, when when someone is good at writing, like you are, the characters you create, they're not multiple versions of you. They are distinct. They're their own people. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but there have been times where I'm writing and my character will do something and I'll be sitting there going, how'd that happen? Where'd that come from? You know, I, I didn't plan that. I mean, they, they, take, they take on a life of their own and sometimes it's more like you're following them and just writing down what they're doing after they've done it, as opposed to telling them what you want them to do. Yes, that's when it that's when it's working and it's really fun. Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, again, back to labels. Do you consider yourself a woman writer, a Jewish woman writer, or just a writer? I shouldn't say just or a writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, say definitely a writer mostly. I mean, that's kind of how I entered this was just wanting to be a writer. Um, and I had no desire or interest to be labeled a female writer or a Jewish writer. But what's happened is in the last two years, I've kind of embraced both of those as well, because um, I'm all of them. And so I am a writer and a Jewish writer and a female. And so I'm happy to embrace those labels. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is the next project you have in the works right now? Um, I'm actually working on another novel. So the difference is with the marriage box, and this is just another reason, I don't think I mentioned this, maybe a little bit, I touched on it, but the marriage box is totally fiction, 
but it is based on my real life. And I think that is why it, partly why it took so long to write. So for this novel that I'm working on now, my goal was to make it be as far away from my real life as possible. And that was, that's been fun. Oh, do you want to that's share anything about it or are you keeping it all secret for now? I'm gonna, uh, I think I'm going to keep it secret for now, but I will say what's different. I, I tried out different points of view. So it's told from six points of view um, and it was inspired from a newspaper article. And that, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up something like that because I, I think that's something that the whole idea of what inspires writing, because, you know, sometimes you can hit periods where whether you're trying to write a short story or whatever, you're just trying to do a little bit of writing with no particular goal. And it's, it's kind of like I, I use the analogy, like Mother Hubbard's cupboard, you go in there and it's totally there. And, you know, I think sometimes too, like you said, yours was inspired by a newspaper article. I think um, we need to, when we're hitting those dry spells, we need to just look around, just put ourselves in other places because you, you never know what's going to start the ball rolling. And, and I know, you know, in my case, after I've finished a piece, I can go back and say, oh, that's where that came from. Somebody said something or I saw something and then you just go completely in a different direction. But um, yeah, I, I, think, I think we have to be aware of those moments. And even if we can't pursue it to like, you know, newspaper article, you had an idea, at least write down a little bit of something if you don't have the time to go into it fully just so that you don't lose whatever triggered it. Everyone always thinks it's so good, I'm gonna remember. And then you never do. And you gotta write it down. Absolutely, that's good advice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of advice, what is the worst advice anyone ever gave you about being a writer? So someone probably 10 years ago told me you're still working on the marriage box. Do you know you could be working on so many other things? You should probably put that away and just work on something else. And I'm glad I didn't listen. Yeah. I'm really glad I didn't listen. I'm super proud of this book and this story. So it took a long time, but it was. I think it's worth it. Things take as long as they take, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. How about what's the best advice anybody gave you for writing? Well, what comes to mind, the first thing that came to mind was um, when I first started, everybody would always say, write what you know, which is nice advice. It's good advice. There's nothing wrong with it. But at some point, somebody said, write what disturbs you. And it really hit me. It really just kind of shook me and changed everything. Yeah, because we should be, I think, a little uncomfortable during the creative process. Because it is, in a sense, giving birth. Lord knows, that's not real comfortable at times. <laughs> but it is, it, you know, it, it's, it's challenging us in how we look and, and how we're viewing things. Now, one of the questions I always like to ask people at the, at the end of, of the interview is, what is your definition of success as a writer? Mine has changed so many times. 
So I would say at first it was just to write a complete story. And then it was maybe to have it published. And then it went to, okay, can I have two stories published? And really it went like that. Okay, three. And it took a really long time for me to embrace writing, being a writer, calling myself a writer. Um, and then even when I had my short story collection published, I was like, okay, can I do a novel? So it keeps changing. Um, I think people, individuals know what feels right. They know what their success is. They know, they know when they're meeting their own goals or their own expectations. I think it might be different for each person. I don't think there's one set bar. For, for one person, it might be to have one book published. But there are people with, I mean, I don't know how people do this, but there, there are people with 20 published books. I don't understand it. So for that person, I'm sure one book would not be a success, but everyone has a, their own path and their own journey. You're absolutely right. Well, I have really enjoyed having you on the show, Corey, and I wish you continued success with your writing, especially your new project. Thank you. And I wish you success too. I loved being here. Oh, thank you. Thanks again for being part of the show. And thanks to everyone who joined us here at Living the Writing Life.